One of the wonderful things about my time in Italy was the wine. I mean, there's nothing quite like going to Orvieto and drinking Orvieto Classico, you know, at an outdoor uh, restaurant, uh, or having a Chianti in Florence, or just a wonderful full-bodied red, Umbrian red in Perugia, where I lived for a few months, etc. And, you know, the other, the other thing, too, is, you know, obviously you're, you're buying it local. So there was some really, really good quality wine for, you know, relatively inexpensive. Um, it was relatively inexpensive. But once in a while, you know, we would, we'd go out, the guys would go out, and, and you know, we just wanted a glass. We weren't going to get maybe a, a whole bottle or something like that. We just wanted a glass. So we just ordered the table wine. And usually it was pretty good. But I remember this one time we went to, uh, uh, pretty much every Friday we went to this uh, uh, wood fire um, oven pizza place. It was fantastic. And, um, and we got the table wine and it came and it was just that. It was awful. It was like, what, did you just pour a bunch of stuff together? You know, did this come out of a box? Like, this is <laughs> not good wine. And, you know, it's one thing to start out the meal with a really nice bottle and then maybe have a second bottle for the table. And then you're like, well, I'll just take a house wine now because it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> After you've had a couple of glasses or three, you know, I'm not saying crazy, but just, you know, enjoying yourself. Yeah, the quality of the wine going down, you don't really notice. That's the point of the gospel. Well, that's one of the points of the gospel here is that, you know, at this long wedding feast, they're going to start off with the good wine because it's noticeable. But after you're in it for a while, the quality of the wine becomes less noticeable. And so generally, the, the lesser vintages, the lesser quality wine will make its way out. And yet, the miracle that Jesus performs, his first miracle, the wedding at Cana, when he makes the water wine, he makes it into the, you know, the best vintage. I mean, God's making the wine, so it's going to be good, right? And they take it to the head waiter, and the head waiter goes to the groom, because the groom is responsible for, for, for providing the wine. He goes to the groom and says, wow, you saved the best for last? And the groom's probably thinking, you know, I thought we were about out. You know, we are running out. It's... Uh, it's a really, really interesting gospel. Because at the beginning, we hear about how they're running out of wine. And Mary is very concerned. So, so maybe, I don't know, I mean, I, it wouldn't be difficult to infer that she, she felt very close to this family. They, they were more than acquaintances. For she's sort of taking on a bit of a responsibility here. And she can't do anything. But she knows her son can, and even though this is his first public miracle, there must have been things that he had done previously that made her think she could, that he could do this. So she, she says, they have no more wine. She doesn't go to him. She's a mom. She doesn't go to him and, and you know, like we would go to Jesus probably, you know, and plead for him. To, nope, she's just like, they have no more wine. And he, right back, says, how does your concern affect me? It's not time yet. She doesn't even listen to him. 
She's a mom. <laughs> Whatever. Don't argue with me. Do whatever he tells you. And he doesn't argue with her. After that, no argument. Okay. He's actually obedient. Do whatever he tells you. So then he, you know, fill the stone jars, 20 to 30 gallons a piece. That's a lot of wine. Six times 30 is 180, right? Is that right? I'm not good at math. It's great that I'm responsible for the parish budget, right? <laughs> One, 180 gallons of wine. How long would that last? That's a lot of wine. There's three main points I want to draw out. The first is this. When Mary says, do whatever he tells you, this is certainly situated within the moment, you know, just practically do whatever he tells you. I know he can fix it. But these are also good words for us to remember. Remember that Mary is always the preeminent disciple. She's, she's the best disciple. She's the best one to look at and say, what does it mean to follow Jesus? That's what it looks like. Do whatever he tells you is really a great motto for spirituality. So often we wonder, what does God want from me? What does he want? Well, once we know what he wants then really it's not a matter of why does he want it. The why doesn't matter nearly as much as knowing what he wants. The why never usually comes with the what. The why comes years later often. But the what, what does he want me to do, can be very clear now. And as soon as we know what he wants us to do, as a disciple, we are to do it. Do whatever he tells you. Once we understand it and once we're certain, once we have a certain, as it's called, a certain conscience, then we must do it. Why? Doesn't matter. It actually doesn't matter because we're talking about God. We always want the why because we're, you know, inquisitive people and we like to know why and all the rest. And quite frankly, sometimes we think that God needs to justify himself to us, which if you really draw that out, it's probably not a good disposition to have. He doesn't need to do that. The saying yes to God, no matter what he asks, as long as we're sure it's him, this is really what it means to be a disciple. It's what, G it's what happened with Mary. It was manifest at the Annunciation. Angel Gabriel, this is what's going to happen. She says, okay, be it done to me according to your word. So that's the first point. Do whatever he tells you. The second point, when God gives his gifts, they're luxurious. 20 to 30 gallons each, six jars, 120 to 108, I just worked that out in my head, 120 to 180 gallons of wine, the best vintage. It's luxurious. It's way more than what was needed. It's way more than what was necessary. It wasn't just like, here's a few, you know, flasks or flagons of wine. Here is a plenitude. And so when God does deliver, it's always more than we need. The other thing about this is sometimes it seems like we're going through life and the wine is getting worse. 
right? Life is getting worse. It's getting harder. This is getting bitter. This is getting, you know, acidic. This is whatever, whatever analogy you want to use. When is the good wine coming? It always comes. It always comes. And sometimes we don't always see it. So one of the things we have to try to, try to do is to be, uh, to, to be present to the gifts that we already have. That maybe God has already given us luxurious gifts that we're just not acknowledging. Because we're so caught up in other things. Then we're not focusing on what he's already given us. And you might say, well, Father, I've been waiting a long time. It's going to happen. It may not happen in this life, but it will happen. These luxurious gifts of God. And of course, as Catholics, the most luxurious gifts we have are the sacraments. And then the last point is this. So do whatever he tells you, luxurious gifts, and Jesus becomes the groom. Right? It's the groom's responsibility here at the wedding to provide the wine. They ran out. Jesus takes the place, as it were, in this regard, of the groom. And this is true. This is how we think about Jesus in relationship to the church, that he's the groom and the church is his bride. That this is the sort of availability or giftedness that comes from Jesus Christ to us, that he gives himself to us totally unto his death. He dies for us. This is literally and truthfully and scripturally the task of every man who marries a woman is to die for her and her children, his children, every single day, metaphorically at least. And Jesus, of course, dying for us on the cross, gives his very life for us. And that even the you know, the church and, and the, the, the saints, they speak of the heavenly reality is of ourselves married to the groom for all of eternity. There's no other kind of marriage. There is one kind of marriage in heaven, and that is the unification of God and his people. This is what we have to look forward to. And the, the closer we can approach that in this life, of course, the better we can be. But in the end, that is what is in store for us, is this complete unity, this unity of love and peace and giftedness and luxuriousness that God seeks to give us for all of eternity. Please stand.